All right, this is our weekly deeping. Gosh. (laughs) 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 This is going to be so good. This is going great so far. (laughs) All right. All right, let's see. All right, this is our weekly Digging Deeper episode, and this week we decided to do something a little different because Chris preached Sunday, so we can't have him doing the Digging Deeper episode uh, for his own message. And so I'm here. My name is Lee Sipe. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church. And beside me I have uh, Roxanne Poe. Roxanne is our worship leader, and then our office manager and our women's ministry leader, Wendy Wilson, is here also. And so we are going to uh, move forward today looking deeper into the sermon from Sunday that Chris preached on worship. And with that, ladies, would one of y'all like to uh, mention the verse or read the verse for us today? Sure. Okay, so Revelation um, 5, 1 through 7 Then I saw in the right hand of one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in in it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes with which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. All right, very good. All right, Roxanne, what do you have? (laughs) Listen, listen, you get to dig first. (laughs) Uh, All right, let me begin by saying this is one of the greatest passages in the Bible. It really is amazing, Not, not just in terms of the history of humanity, this is a turning point or a momentous moment or a time in, in the history of humanity, but really in the history of the universe. Uh, there are heavenly beings that have been around for a very long time before any of us were here, and they've all been waiting for this moment as well. And we see in Revelation, the first three chapters are the letters to the, to the churches of Asia Minor, the seven letters that Jesus himself wrote to the churches. And after sharing that, we begin with what we call or we remember as the apocalyptic literature of the New Testament of of Revelation in chapter 4. And it begins chapter 4 by talking about this amazing worship service that is is taking place. And he he sees the throne of God and the cherubim and the seraphim. And and, uh, he describes this amazing event visually to us, and then in chapter five, where our chapter is for today, or was for this week, this Sunday, he describes begins to describe a problem, a dilemma that happened in the midst of this worship service. Uh, a scroll was uh, presented. The scroll represents a major edict or announcement, uh, but again, 
in the first century, they might make an announcement in the kingdom every week or every month or maybe when they got a new emperor and, and that new emperor would present an official edict that really defined his leadership as an emperor in the years to come. This is beyond that. This is this is beyond time. This is this is an event in history that precedes and will uh, precedes Earth and will date way beyond the end of all things. And so, it's a it is a truly momentous, not just on Earth but in heaven as well. And so, it's presented that there is a scroll, and obviously, this edict, this scroll, needs to be read. In the first century, all scrolls coming from the emperor were sealed, and that seal uh, represented the authority of the one who wrote the scroll, but also the one who was to receive the scroll was uh, themselves, only themselves, were authorized to open the scroll. And so John presents this dilemma in chapter 5 that who's going to open the scroll? It's sealed with seven seals, and they, they scanned heaven. And there was no one in heaven, no heavenly creature, no heavenly being, no angel. No one was worthy to open the scroll, which caused John to start weeping. And then he was told by one of the elders in heaven, uh, don't cry, (laughs) which is interesting. It, It was so upsetting to John. It was so overwhelming to John that there's this incredible edict, this incredible revelation of God that that was destined to to come to pass and yet there's no one to even make the announcement there's no one worthy to read the scroll no one's authorized and the elder says actually don't cry there's there is someone that's authorized to do that and it is it is Christ and so from that Chris used this this passage to talk about worship I've been sharing for the last several weeks about worship and so Chris uses this to as a catalyst to what real worship is and what worship is not, and why we worship, a general theology of why we as a church worship. Why don't we come to church on Sunday mornings? And so that's what he's talking about. All right, with that, ladies, uh, you might mention his illustrations or, or what you saw in the sermon that you remember that stands out to you. <laughs> no pressure. Well, he talked about that... Um not an atheist church, but they had started a, a godless church. A godless church, and um, that they were coming together to basically do like group karaoke, sing <laughs> because they're singing like "Don't Stop Believing," and you know that was the whole. They they wanted they saw the merit and the value in building community, how churches build community. And so they're like, oh, well, it's easy. We'll, we'll take this formula and we'll sing some songs and then we'll do a talk, more like a TED talk instead of a sermon, and we'll be positive and it'll be great. Yeah, so this actually happened in 2013. A couple of guys got together uh, who, who were not believers in Christ, but they liked elements of church. They thought church was cool and there was a reason that they were coming together, you know, a lot of positivity and get do some singing. And and uh, they liked the camaraderie of a church, the, the ideal or the philosophy of a church. Uh, they just didn't 
particularly care for the God part. And so they actually started a church that was a godless church. And from that, it grew into, over a period of few years, it grew, what, what did they say, um, it grew to 5,000 members and mm-hmm. 70 congregations of a godless congregation, a, a godless denomination that developed that's just gleaned all of the fun stuff or, or all the positive things that they would see in a Christian church, but they made it for atheists instead. Of course, it all came to nothing. It, they began to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. They peaked in like in 2017, and now they're just a tiny fraction of the churches left. Because what's the point of coming to church to worship uh, if you're not going to worship, if you have nobody to worship? What's the point of coming to, to church if you have no vision, no, no hope? Uh, and that's what they begin to realize. Why are we here? Why are we here? Have you ever come to this place where you came into the church and you thought, why am I here? What What is the purpose of being here? Well, Chris made it very clear, and this was the essence of his sermon, is that there is a reason for us being in God's house. We believers in Christ have a, have a purpose, have a reason to come together in worship because we believe in God. He is on his throne, and he describes this amazing scene in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation, this worship, this galactic scale worship service that's taking place. And we have a reason to come together. We have a reason to rejoice. And he spends the rest of the message talking about that, that we've been forgiven of our sins. And this passage, he gets into it, and he talks about... Um, uh, the one that was worthy to open the scroll, and it, it says that he was like one, uh, like a lamb who had been slain—a reference to Christ on the cross, the fact that he paid the penalty for your sins and my sins, and having done that, we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed by the mercy of God, and that in and of itself is is the catalyst for us to coming together and worshiping God and celebrating on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings should be a celebration. It's a reminder every week that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that we have a purpose, we have a hope in our life, we have a reason for being here, and we know what that reason is, and that's to glorify God in Christ. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's the end. So, um, so I did appreciate that. It is, and I, I, I don't ever tell this to my congregation. This is an unusual thing. I, Chris is our associate pastor. He preaches once a month. Which, on the one hand, I get the Sunday off. On the other hand, the worst thing is I get the Sunday off. I'm sitting out there, and I want to preach the sermon. When he reads a great passage like this, it just I, it, you just light up and you go, "Oh, that's so good!" I, I, I just want to jump up there. And um, uh, but you can't. You have to listen to somebody else preach the passage. But it is a great passage. And uh, when you get a chance, go to Revelation chapter five. In fact, Revelation chapter four is a is a brief chapter, but that really is the beginning of the apocalyptic literature that goes throughout all of Revelation. And so you might quickly read chapter four just as an introduction. Uh, into the worship scene that's taking place in heaven and then read chapter 5 because it really is a beautiful chapter and a powerful moment in our future. It's a powerful moment in history, but for us it is a history that has not happened yet, which is so great that we get to look, we get to peer ahead into heaven and into the future uh, to see uh, what is going to happen. So, 
All right, ladies, what else did y'all know, know and notice in the message? Well, I'm actually, I want to touch base on what you just talked about. So the, even the title of the message, because we have been doing a worship, worship series, and why do we worship? And so um, when you get to be on stage and you get to see the whole congregation during music, during the worship time, even during your sermon, you get to witness this. But there are moments where you're like, hmm. When you see somebody and you're like, I wonder what they're doing right now. Because it doesn't, on the outward, it doesn't look like they're worshiping. And it's not the, not even if they're not singing. Because there can be people that are deep in prayer that you can tell by their countenance. Like they're worshiping. They're pouring their heart out to God. But I just... Uh, really reflected a lot whenever he was saying the sermon of, yeah, what is the, we need to be very aware of the purpose of why we're coming together to worship. It's not just we're coming to hang out with our friends, with our church friends, and we're not coming, oh, I hope they sing my song this week. You know, like there's a, there's a purpose and we're worshiping the Lord. And you're right. You can, you can see that easily on the faces of some of the people or many of the people when they worship Others, it's more difficult to discern. And what really Wendy's talking about, and I didn't have time or a chance to get to this in, in this sermon series <clears throat> on worship, is that you have different personalities while we're in there. And we'll talk about the unity of the church, the oneness of the church in a minute. Chris gets to that in his message. But uh, in the midst of our diversity, because we're different people, we have different personalities, different characters, and different different ways of acting and interacting uh, in life and in a worship service, we have different ways of, of, of uh, how we go about our relationships and how we go about leading or following. And and because of those different personalities, when we go to worship, we don't all worship exactly the same. Now, there are good things and bad things about that as we worship. And I think about worship in heaven. What kind of worship styles will there be based on personalities in heaven? I can only guess. Uh, but uh, some people are what we call introspective worshipers. That is, it's mainly on the inside. You don't see a lot going on in their countenance or in their face or their smile or whatever or in the, the volume of their singing. But on the inside, they may be going through all kinds of issues and challenges and problems. They may be hurting or wounded on the other hand, they also may be worshiping God with just all of their hearts, and you just don't see it. Some people are just very introspective. It's it's more internalized. Other people are what we call demonstrative worshipers, and you see every bit of it. They, they, they light up, and they're singing at twice the volume of the introspective worshipers, and they're moving around. They're very animated. They're smiling and they're 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 just enthusiastic, almost aerobic, and, and you you may know somebody like that. They're demonstrative worshipers, and here's the challenge between those two personality types: the the introspective worshipers are tempted to think, "Boy, those demonstrative worshipers, they're crazy. They're a bunch of nuts." And the demonstrative worshipers are thinking about the introspective worshipers and thinking. Oh, they're not even worshiping. They're barely <laughs> conscious. Why do they even show up here? And uh, so I always tell my congregation that within boundaries, and, and there are boundaries either way. On the one hand, 
just because you're jumping around or or put, raising your hands or singing twice as loud as everybody else doesn't make you a great worshiper. You can, you can do that. In fact, these, these individuals that got together in these 70 congregations to sing weren't worshiping at all, but many of them were much more demonstrative than others. No doubt some of them were singing out and dancing in the aisles and that sort of thing in these atheist churches. So just jumping around and singing loud doesn't make you a great worshiper. It's what's going on in your spirit and in your heart and your your humility before the throne of God. On the other hand, I'm sure in these godless churches, there are people that were just standing there watching the show. And so you can, as an introspective worshiper, a quiet worshiper, be cut to the quick and and sincerely, wholeheartedly worshiping God. It's just internalized. On the other hand, sometimes the demonstrative worshipers might be right. Maybe you're just standing there and you're not thinking anything about God or anything about worship. You're thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch and all those things you have to do at work the next week and how far behind you are in all of those responsibilities in life or who you like and who you don't like and all of these other things can be going on in your mind that are interrupting your opportunity to worship and you're not worshiping at all. So we have to be careful on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, we can't assume that the introspective worshipers aren't worshiping, and introspective worshipers cannot assume that the demonstrative worshipers are just—they just need attention, <laughs> and so they're just going at it, or they—they they, they drink a beer before church, and they're they're over the over the edge. You can't assume that. I think. What, by the way, David was both. He was a tremendously demonstrative worshiper. But we see in the Psalms as he's pouring out his heart to God quietly, he was also an introspective worshiper. And I think there are, there are arguments for both. Not either, not, neither one of them are right or wrong. It's just that's the way that people are. And so I say to our demonstrative worshipers, accept those who are more introspective. And I say to our introspective worshipers, accept those who tend to be more demonstrative. Now, again, Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 that there are boundaries. You can be too demonstrative so that it's a distraction to those around you. And you don't want to do that. Um, so, um, but at the same time, you want to be sincere and fervent in your worship. So anyway, in, in heaven, and this is where I was trying to uh, chase this rabbit toward, in this worship service that's described in chapter 4 and 5 in Revelation, uh, I think there, there will be a, a clear balance. Obviously, everybody there, the millions or billions of angels, the millions or billions of humans who have come to faith in Christ at this point, who have died in Christ and have gone to heaven, and, and, and all the heavenly hosts, the cherubim and the seraphim and whatever else there is in heaven, and they're worshiping God. I don't think any of them will be thinking, when does lunch start? <laughs> you know, what are we going to do after this? Yeah. Where's my harp? I left it at home. They're going to be focused, I assure you, because the throne of God is right there. And they're going to be, we are as one going to be worshiping God. And that's what is described in Revelation chapter 5. And that's a big part of what Christ, uh, Chris was trying to, to, to clarify is that we as one have a reason to come and worship the, uh, uh, God on his throne. All right. Uh, with that, what else did you notice, ladies? Okay, you just made an interesting point that is making me think more because my brain always went to, 
when I picture us in heaven worshiping the Lord, like once we're there and we're worshiping, I always have pictured it as demonstrative. Like I have always pictured it as... So we had a... we. A couple years back, there was a video that y'all showed about worship, and it showed it had all these films of people at secular concerts yeah. and how and uh, football, football games. games and different things like that. Yeah. And it was showing. I mean, clearly, if you didn't know what the activity was, it looks like worship. Like it looks like they're worshiping. What you know? Right. And then it showed film of people standing at church and looking and being distracted and and so in my brain I mean before that time too I just always thought when we're in heaven like all of the boundaries we have put on ourselves um, will be gone and we will just be pouring out our heart to the Lord but I love what you brought up because it will be a balance of the two and I guess I just hadn't envisioned it that way. But it makes sense. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I got us, I'm taking us on a rabbit trail, so let's go back to. Uh, uh, Roxanne, uh, you might read this. If you Would you do that? Yes, yes, yes. This is verse uh, 9 and 10, and, and Chris mentioned this verse in, because it's in the passage, he mentioned this verse in his <clears> message. <throat> And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. All right, Chris shared quite a while about this passage and a couple of things from this uh, verse. The first is it said, and this is describing the worship scene in heaven, they sing a new song, which is comical to me in one respect in that we don't like new songs. <laughs> We're Baptists. We like the old songs. And, like and for some people, old is a 200-year-old hymn. Some people, old is, you know, I've been singing this song for the last five years. It's a really great praise hymn. It's my favorite <clears throat> praise hymn. And there's this... This interesting resistance, is that not right, Roxanne? Oh, yes, yes. When she leads in a new song that we've never heard, and she gets up and she, she says, All right, we're going to do a new song this morning. I think there's a collective uh, uh, <sighs> yeah. sigh that goes on in the congregation. <laughs> oh, a new song. We just immediately don't want a new song. Well, that's not. he's not talking about variety here. There is a reason that he mentions that it's a new song. So what is the purpose? Do you know, ladies, biblically, why why does he say a new song? Hmm. Good question. Well, because it's a new revelation. It's a new revelation, and it's a new phase in history. We're, we're at this moment where the scroll of, of God's wrath and his plan for the earth, his redemption for the earth, is going to come to completion, and so it, it's a new it's a new phase in in God's uh, activity in this universe and in this world and in our lives. But if you look back in the Old Testament, and this is not the first time that that the word "new song" is mentioned, you can look in Isaiah. But if you go back even to the Exodus, remember when they the Israelites and Chris may have alluded to this in the message. I can't remember when the Israelites walked across the dread, dead, uh, excuse me, the Red Sea on dry ground, and they got they got across, and and the entire Egyptian army was drowned as they were chasing after the Israelites across the Red Sea, 
And, of course, after the Israelites got across, God closed the waters up on the Egyptian army. They all drowned, and so the Israelites were saved without having to fight a single fight. Of course, they had no weapons. They had no spears or armor or chariots or horses or any of that. They had no ability to fight. They were helpless. But they didn't need any of those things because they had a God that protected them. As soon as they got over to the other side and they looked and saw that the entire Egyptian army had drowned and that they had been saved, and they were no longer slaves. It was a new life. It was a, a, a new start for them. And so they immediately wrote, uh, one of them wrote a song and they sang a new song because it was a new start. And we see that, again, in the Old Testament, there are times historically where there is a, a new a new phase of life. When you get married on your wedding day, you don't sing a song about being single. <laughs> you go to a new phase in your life. And so it's, it's a new song. And, um, and so we go through phases in life. Well, history goes through phases. And so this is a new phase. And so it's a new song. And, and so I love that it mentions that there will be new songs in heaven. Also, it said this, and this is really important. It says, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Chris talked about how the gospel is unifying. In fact, that was his second point. God, he, he, he redeems us. That's the first point. And the second point is he unifies us that we are truly one. And again, on this, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound like I'm preaching. <laughs> this is so important. But you're a preacher. There's this, that's right. I am a preacher. What would you expect? In our culture right now, there's this uh, all-inclusive group. They, they use the word all-inclusive, and they have all these letters to talk about their all-inclusive group. But they're not really all-inclusive. What they mean is they're all-inclusive of those people that are in those letters. If you're outside of that, like a conservative Baptist or a white male or whatever, you're outside the group. And actually, that all-inclusive group is one of the most exclusive groups in all of history. It's not inclusive. Let me tell you what really is inclusive, what truly unifies humanity, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what he talks about in this. He says, from every tribe and language and people and nation, from everywhere, he's talking about the universal nature of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the opportunity or the hope that it gives us for eternal life, for forgiveness of our sins. And to that extent, it doesn't matter who you are. And I always say this, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your skin color or your gender or your background or what country you came from or your height or weight or anything else. There is a unifying aspect. We are one, we're to be one when we worship God on Sunday morning. I love that. Some of you could be professional singers, and some of you are tone deaf. You can't sing a lick. God bless you. <laughs> we hear you. We know who you are. It, it, <laughs> but we love. But that, here's the thing. And by the way, I'm, I'm more in that group. You're not going to name anybody. I, I, Let's not I'll start naming. I identify names. with that group. <laughs> but it doesn't make any difference. Uh, some of you are. You can pray like Billy Graham. And you, we ask you to pray on Sunday, and you pray the most beautiful, eloquent prayers. And others of you, you, you would stutter. Uh, sta, sta, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You would stutter <laughs> and and struggle, and you wouldn't dare pray in public because you would get every word backwards and wrong. And so we're a diverse group, and I, I've got people from all different denominations and backgrounds. I've got people coming to our church. I, I've had in the last month atheists come to our church. I've had people that have no church background at all, and others. Uh, used to be members of cults. I mean, we have all diverse backgrounds that come to our church each Sunday. And yet, in light of all of our, our history, and no matter how unique or different or strange or, or, or problematic or however you want to describe it, your past is, you can, and, and we really struggle with this idea, you can truly be one with hundreds of others, thousands of others, millions of others in heaven, do you think that we'll all be the same? Do you think that we'll just be look like Casper the ghost and we'll all look exactly the same? We'll sing on exactly the same tone with the same voice? I don't know what our glorified bodies will look like, but I can tell you there will be diversity. There will be variety. Uh, because what, what what kind of heaven would that be if we're just all exactly clones? We look like the stormtroopers, you know, <laughs> heavenly stormtroopers. No, I think that there will be tremendous variety. I think some will be taller and shorter, and they will have all different kinds and types and colors, and and there, there would be tremendous diversity even in heaven. We know even what we little we do know about heaven, that there are not only just different types of of, of, of redeemed people, but there are also different kinds of creatures in heaven, some of which we don't even fully understand what they are, the seraphim and the cherubim. We know that they're creatures. They're not humans. They're not angels. They're something else. And there may be all kinds of things that aren't even mentioned in the Bible, all kinds of beings. We don't know. But I do know this. When we're worshiping around the throne, we're not concerned about any of that. We are going to truly be one in Christ. And so I look forward to that. So he mentions that in, in, in uh, point number two. Mm -hmm. All right, ladies, what else did you see in, or remember from <clears throat> the sermon? Well, do we want to read the Revelation 5, 9 through Yeah, go ahead and read 10. that. Okay. Yes. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Okay, do you remember this, Roxanne, that... The, really the point of this part of the verse. In fact, the last point they made is that he's leading us. And the question is, he's leading us to what? And it's mentioned in the very last clause of that passage. What does he say? It's right there. It's in bold. Oh, I thought you were talking about way down here. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they will reign on the All earth. right, boom. I was like, what? Why does he mention that? What? What's it? Do you remember what his point was in that? Don't ask me. I don't ever listen to Chris. <laughs> Roxanne. Oh my word. Wendy, do you remember? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so he's 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 the one that is leading us 
in worship and through this next phase. Right, and when the next phase is complete, yes, what's going to happen? And it says it right there. Yeah, and then then we're going to reign on the earth, on the so, new earth. Right. So here's here's where he's going with that, and here's here's where John the Revelator is going, or God's going through, uh, to, uh, going with this through through John the Revelator, is that there is going to be a an end game here for God's people. We're not just loitering through life. We're not just pushing through this existence trying to figure out our own purpose in life. And he talked about those godless churches and uh, they that the godless churches say, this is the only life that you have. Just live it to the fullest. We're all going to die soon. So just have a great time while you're here. And that's where those congregations, those atheist congregations are struggling because they have no reason to come together. They have nothing to look forward to except death. I don't know how that's something to look forward to, but that's not the case with Christians. And Chris mentioned to us that there is a life beyond this one, that God has a purpose and plan for us. We're not just going to be sitting on clouds, playing harps, wearing white robes. There is a purpose for us in the next life, eternally. And so we have a purpose, and that purpose begins here and now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to start that. The kingdom of God has already started through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, by his mercy, not because we deserve it, but by the mercy of God, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we start that life now, or that, that goal now. God is leading us toward that end. And he's using you, he's teaching you, he's preparing you for that time. He's growing us. That's the purpose of our life now, that we grow and we learn and we share uh, Christ with others into the beings that we are determined or God has determined that we should be for all of eternity. And so it says we're going to reign on the earth. Now, we're not going to be messiahs or anything like that. We're going we're to be servants of God for eternity, but God's elect will be with him as he reigns. Uh, in this in this uh, world, in the next earth. All right, ladies, anything else you wanted to add? Well, you touched on it. Uh, Chris <clears> talked <throat> about, we talked about it at the beginning too, of how the decline, because of, there, there's no, like you said, you're going to come together because we live, we die. Like that's, there's no purpose and hope in a godless church and a godless society and so uh what's yeah. the point what's the point of what's it? the point that should be the title every week at their worship services for the atheists what's the point right like what's the point why why do we get up early like like chris said why would we get up early drag our kids out of bed get them ready and take them to this gathering right and by the way when he says we'll reign on earth he's not talking about military reign that's all behind us. That's what we think about today. He's not talking about political reigning. Again, that's, that's what we talk about today when you talk about people who are in, in charge or have power in this world or in our nation. We think, about, we, we think about political figures, presidents and Congress and that sort of thing. That's all going to be behind us. There won't be any politics in heaven. There won't be any fighting in heaven. There won't be any need for... Uh, spears or arrows or or anything guns the one it, it that all will be behind us it will the war in heaven will be over the world the wars on this earth will be over there will be nothing but peace forever so when it says it will reign with him 
Uh, he's not talking about a military coup or that we'll, we'll be a, a soldier in an army or we'll be a commander in an army. And he's not talking about politics. Thank God for that. He's talking about something way better. All right. Ladies? Roxanne, got what? anything? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just... thank y'all for coming. Roxanne, I'm sorry you couldn't be here today. Like, Wait, what? I remembered something that we're supposed to do. Chris always mentions it. Like, subscribe, follow the podcast. And we didn't we didn't introduce Judah. <clears throat> Judah, Judah, Judah is here Judah. with us today. That's exactly right. Hey everybody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's sitting over there shaking his head the whole time. Thanks, Judah. You did a great job. All right. All right. Well, that concludes our uh, Digging Deeper podcast for the week. Thank you for joining us.